Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Tuesday, August 1st, 2017. Yeah, look at the notes here. Wow. It's been a while since we've covered some of these folks. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down. Stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of really crazy things being said out there. And we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolates, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we need to be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. And over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine being put out is not even close to biblical Christianity. And, uh, you know, the uh, the biggest cesspool, if you would, the big swamp that needs to be drained in Christianity, well, yeah, I would say that's TBN. <laughs> yeah, anything to do with the Trinity Broadcasting Network, that is one sludge-filled pus bucket of theological medical waste that you don't want to be swimming in you don't want to be getting anything as far as doctrine or teaching from uh, Trinity Broadcasting Network. Yeah, the money-grubbing televangelist. And you're going to note that on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, uh, we're going to be spending quite a bit of time dealing with the money-grubbing televangelists. And uh, we're, we'll throw Beth Moore <laughs> into that category today, too. So uh, let's talk about what we want to cover on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Like I said, we're going to be talking about money-grubbing televangelists. We're going to begin with a recent appearance uh, by Rod Parsley on the It's Supernatural television program, uh, Sid Roth's uh, outfit. And we're going to learn how Satan tried to kill Rod Parsley, but God wouldn't let Satan kill Rod Parsley. Yeah, direct revelation and all. It should be rather fascinating. And uh, then we're going to uh, head down to uh, T.D. Jakes's The Potter's House as we listen to T.D. Jakes stumble his way through Ruth 2. 
And I'm it's just awful. I it, I mean totally missing the whole point of the entire book of Ruth. And uh, so we'll be uh, taking a listen to TD Jakes. Uh, somewhere in there, we're going to have to take a break. Then we're going to check in with uh, Gloria Copeland as she teaches us about God's health plan. And then to round out our number one, we're going to check in with Beth Moore. As uh, yeah, it's just her living proof um, <clears throat> program. Uh, the the name of the message we're going to be listening to is it's part of the, the It's Complicated series that uh, recently aired on Trinity Broadcasting Network, and we're going to focus in on. Beth Moore's use of the parables. I mean, whoa. I mean, just really strange stuff. And uh, then we're in hour number two. Uh, you know, I I really am just bored to tears with uh, movie sermons. So we'll do a little historical work, if you would. We're going to go back to the Brownsville Revival. And uh, you have to put revival in quotes there. And because over and again, whenever we go back and we check the doctrine that was being preached at Brownsville, oh my word, it does not even remotely square with uh, God's word at all, uh, which basically says, yeah, there there ain't no way that was a Holy Spirit revival. But uh, we're going to listen to uh, Jensen Franklin's appearance over at the Brownsville Revival and uh, take a close listen to what it is that he preached there, because it was one hot mess of nonsense is the best way I can put it. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. I strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. we got a lot of ground that we need to cover. And since we're going to begin with a money-grubbing televangelist update, let's go ahead and do this. I've got 90,000 pounds in my pajamas. I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira. Now the Deutschmark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money you can make a splash. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. Money, 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 money. There's nothing like a newly minted pound. Money, 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 money. Everyone must anger for the butchness of a banker. It's accountancy that makes the world go round, 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 you round, round. You can keep round. your ways, but it's only just a phrase. For it's money, money, money makes the world go round. Money, 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 money. All right, so we're heading over to Sid Roth's It's Supernatural, and we're going to be listening to Rod Parsley explain how Satan tried to kill him, but God intervened and would not allow that to happen. In fact, there was even a direct revelation from God regarding Rod Parsley's health and restoration to health and regarding ministry and things like that. Here's um, uh, Sid Roth and Rod Parsley to explain. where it's naturally supernatural. What would cause a man that has seen thousands of miracles under his ministry? Yeah, I seriously doubt that. Yeah, Rob Parsley is uh, as phony as a wooden $3 bill. Uh, Whose mother was actually healed at a Catherine Coleman service, kind of raised with Oral Roberts, Catherine Coleman, a diet of that. Uh, When he gets life-threatening cancer, resort 
to the best prayer he knows and the best medicine he knows rather than just prayer alone. I'm going to ask Pastor Rod Parsley why. Yeah, I mean, I guess that would kind of be a legitimate question since Rod Parsley is one of these fellows that, you know, he can send out healing over the uh, television airwaves uh, to people. And, you know, he encourages them to send in seed offerings and stuff like that in in order to uh, get their miracle. And yet he he utilized uh, the help of doctors. Yeah, maybe he just didn't have enough faith. Just a moment. Now, Pastor Rod has been ministering for four decades. He pastors one of the most dynamic ministries in the country. And many years ago, at the age of 27, Mm. he had an open vision. And I have to believe that when you went through what you just went through, that no one should have to do it. Yes. You were reminded of that vision. I was, Sid. First of all, thanks for having me. I like to be right in the middle of things that are supernatural, and I know that you do as well. It- yeah, I'm sure you, you do. Yeah, The supernatural things he likes to be in the midst of are the supernatural transfer of wealth from your wallet to his. 1984, when I was standing on the platform of our church and the entire back wall of the sanctuary, we call it a tabernacle, disappeared. Uh huh, sure. I saw a scene play out before my very eyes. Really? Do tell. More real than the camera I'm looking at right now. I'm sure you think it was, yeah. And God entered that scene. I saw what I recognized to be the presence of Satan himself. Well, that would explain a lot. The presence of Satan himself in your church. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. As my eyes went upward, I saw a crown upon his head. The s- a, cl- a clown? Maybe I think he meant crown. Maybe I just misheard him. My <laughs> line of that crown was my home city, Columbus, Ohio, twinkling like stars in the heaven mm. were the lights in the buildings wrapped around his head. So God wears Columbus, Ohio as his crown. Who knew? Suddenly, a sword appeared. It made three revolutions, smote the enemy against the back of his knees. He fell over to the side, and that crown rolled off his head. And suddenly, as if you would zip a zipper, it was gone. The back wall was back. And I began to shout out of my spirit. I began to shout, I'm brave enough. I'm strong enough to pick up that crown. And gosh darn it, people like me. I'm strong enough to pick up that crown and place it on the head of our Savior. Well, now at 60, God said, I'm about to enter. You're about to enter your third phase of gospel ministry. I'm going to place a seven times greater anointing on you for healing, deliverance, and salvation of the people of God. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. The third phase of just, you know, <clears throat> fleecing of Christ's sheep. He said, I'll take it. 
Oh, applause line for that. He'll take it. None of it's true. He's just making it up. Your voice, you tried to silence, but I heard you say something good. I heard you say that now <laughs> it's seven times the anointing on your voice. Amen. It's seven times greater. Amen. Going to reach seven times more people. <laughs> He's going to flee seven times as many sheep, steal seven times as much money for them, increase his damnation in hell by sevenfold. Going to reach seven times more souls for the kingdom, seven times more healings, seven times more demonstration of signs and wonders and miracles. Now, I'm going to take you back to date, okay. and I want you to tell me what happened. It, it was in June, month of June 2015. Yes. You were shocked to your core. What happened? I, I was. I'd, I'd had a little bit of a sore throat, uh, which when you live in Ohio and you're baptized in pollen several times a year, <laughs> you, you know. You, so I saw my, my general practitioner and he said, well, I don't see anything, but this has been going on long enough. I think we need to have you scoped. So I, I saw the, uh, the surgeon and he said, yes, there's something there. And he scheduled an appointment to go ahead and have vocal cord surgery. Well, I called my team together and my precious wife, Joni, got in the middle of that meeting and produced a little piece of paper. She said, God spoke to me that the enemy was going to attack your voice with cancer. Hmm. Yes. And so she and probably she, didn't tell you. Because no, she didn't. She didn't want didn't. to put power Exactly. Beyond. So she didn't tell me. She began to pray. She said, but now that I've seen this manifest, you are not. She gave me a word of knowledge. You are not to have surgery. And I found out later, had I had that surgery, my vocal cords in all probability would have been irreversibly damaged. And wow. I probably never would have preached again. So you're from now on, you're going to listen to your wife? I'm going to listen to her. Happy wife, happy life. <laughs> now, there are many people that would say, well, that's a lack of faith to have medicine and prayer. What would you say to them? I would say this. God, the Holy Spirit, I believe that every good thing comes from our Father. I believe that, Sid, with all my heart. I do not believe that God gives people sickness and disease to teach them. However, I do believe that in the process, we are all taught. Now, you, you told me that... Yeah, notice there that uh, he's spewing his own theology. He's not actually teaching a biblical text. Oh, he's the one who's triumphed, though. Oh, he. Oh, it's so miraculous. Yeah, no, it's really not. Um, because, as we've demonstrated over and again, Rod Parsley is a fellow who will manipulate a biblical text in order to get a buck, and he is literally the king of false teachers out there. He's not bringing people to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. He's bringing and using his voice in order to bring into his wallet money that's sitting in your wallet. That's what he's all about. All right, moving along, we're going to stay under the auspices of our money-grubbing tele-evangelist update, which we're still really under. And we're going to head over to the Potter's house as we listen to T.D. Jakes literally stumble his way through the story of Ruth. 
Here we go. In a very generic, open sense, that she wanted to go somewhere, but she didn't know how to get there. She is a foreigner. She's from Moab. She's not used to the area. But she says to Naomi, "Go," and to go, that she wants to go. And Naomi says to her, "Go." Look at this young girl who goes. Ruth wants to go somewhere, and so she says to Naomi, "Go." What are you talking about? I. I yeah, yeah. The the reason why this is happening is that uh, T. D. Jakes he's not actually reading the text. L- let's take a look at the story of Ruth real quick. If you have your Bible, head over to Ruth chapter one. We're going to read one and part of two. Here's what it says: In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife, Naomi. The names of his two sons were Mahlon and Chilion, and they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem. You should be sitting there going, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Right, because this is a story as it pertains to the lineage of Jesus and uh, and, uh, the near relatives of uh, Jesse of Bethlehem, who's the father of David. Just saying, it's... This is all important stuff. So they went into the country of Moab, re- remained there, but Elimelech, and the, hu- the husband of Naomi, he died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Mahlon and Chilion died so that the woman was, uh, woman was left without her two sons and her husband. That's kind of an important thing there. No male heirs. You got a problem with your inheritance going on at this point. So then she rose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that Yahweh had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, "Return, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May Yahweh deal kindly with you. You have dealt with the dead and with me, uh, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept, and they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back. My daughters, why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of Yahweh has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices, and they wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May Yahweh do to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. 
And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no, she said no more. So the two of them uh, went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman, the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and Yahweh has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when Yahweh has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Chapter 2, we'll just take a look a little bit into chapter 2. So we can see the context of the story. Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now, important note here, check your genealogies, and you will see that Boaz is the son of, well, remember the story of Jericho, Rahab, the prostitute? Mm -hmm. Boaz is her son. Uh She married into the line of the Messiah after the fall of Jericho. Yeah, no joke. All right, so you got the context then of what's going on there in the setup in the story of Ruth. So let's back up just a little bit. Let's just back up a little bit with T.D. Jakes and see if we can figure out what on earth he's talking about because what I'm hearing from him sounds nothing related at all to what the story of Ruth actually says and teaches generic open sense that she wanted to go somewhere but she didn't know how to get there she is a foreigner she's from Moab she's not used to the area but she says to Naomi go and to go, that she wants to go and Naomi says to her go look at this young girl who goes out there and starts gleaning she doesn't know where she is she doesn't know what she's doing she's in the vicinity of the place but she is not in the place it's the vicinity of what place (laughs) she's returned with naomi to bethlehem she knows where she is something about getting close to the place what do you mean getting close to the place is this like that game that my parents my dad would play with me when i was a kid he'd hide something right you know and i'd go where where is this thing dad and he says well why don't you go look for it and so i'd start looking for it says oh you're you're cold you're cold oh you're freezing now you're freezing 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 Oh, it's Antarctica in here. And then I'll move and look somewhere else. He says, oh, you're getting warmer. Things are thawing out. Oh, you're burning hot now. (laughs) Is that what this is? You're not even there yet, but you innately sense in the depth of your spirit that something is about to happen. You're in the vicinity of the place. You know with... The vicinity of a place. I'm in the vicinity of uh, of the allegorical Bethlehemish thingy. Odd strokes that you're getting nearer to it. I can't even tell you how you know. You just know that you know. You can't even explain that you know. You just sense it in your spirit. You realize it. In- 
What are you talking about? This has nothing to do with the story of Ruth. In your mind, I'm getting close. That's why the devil has a terrible time discouraging you. <laughs> what? He has a terrible time discouraging you because you have this innate sensitivity that you're getting close and you don't even know how you know you're close. You just Close to what? Just know that you're close. And every time you're ready to give up, you say, no, I can't give up because I'm getting close to the place. Wow, these people are really eating this up. I mean, they are on their feet. Oh, I'm getting... I'm so close to the place. What place? Some of you have gone through mishaps and setbacks that have broken your heart. And people didn't understand why it broke your heart. It broke your heart because you knew you were close. And you said, I can't go through a setback right now because I am so close to a breakthrough that to set me back now would break my heart. I don't mind being set back if I wasn't so close. But when I get in the vicinity of the place that I've waited all of my life to get, don't mess with me now. If you go... I have no idea. I, whoa, I mean, seriously, this is a well-delivered string of nonsense. I mean, but the delivery is amazing. I mean, I, I don't know anybody who is as gifted as an orator um, as uh, T.D. Jakes, but he, what he's orating is n- nonsense. Act a fool, act a fool while I'm still in Moab. But once I'm about to get in the field of my destiny and eat the field of my dreams and harvest the hope of my life. Touch your neighbor and say you're in the right field. (laughs) I'm... I'm not in a field. <laughs> this is the field of dreams, apparently. You might not be in the right spot, but you're in the right field. You're in the you're in the right you're on the right property. You're in the right location. You're in close proximity. Something is about to happen in your life. Your adrenaline is mounting. Your blood is racing. Your heart is pounding. Your fingers are tingling. Your hair is standing on head. You- what does any of this have to do with the story of Ruth? You're excited about stuff you don't understand. You can't have sleep at night because excitement is running through your body. Your veins and arteries feel like a highway. Cars are flying up and down the highway. You feel like something is about to happen. Thoughts are swirling around in your head because for once in your life, after years of being oppressed, repressed, and depressed, you know that you're getting close to the place that God has promised you. I wow, yeah. None of that has anything to do with Ruth, like at all. But wow, I mean, (laughs) the delivery there has got the people worked up into a major frenzy, don't you know? (laughs) But they're in a frenzy over nothing. These are empty words. This is what Scripture describes. You know, the false teachers—they are waterless rain clouds and that's what that is that was a rain cloud coming right overhead no water came out but but it was an ex- it was an exciting exciting rain cloud to look at 
Wow. I, um, whoa. That's all I got to say. So uh, let's go ahead and take our second break. And uh, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to be hearing from Gloria Copeland and Beth Moore. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss them. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> presents Church Day Select. These planes would give us passengers more legroom. Hey, let me help you with your luggage. Oh, thank you so much. What in the world do you have in these bags? Bricks. Bricks? I'm a door-to-door brick salesperson. I'm not even going to ask. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. If you have not already done so, please stow your carry-on luggage underneath the seat in front of you or in an overhead bin. Please take your seat and fasten your seatbelts and make sure your seat back and tray tables are in their full upright and locked positions. Thank you. Thank you, Brittany. In case y'all don't know me, I'm Mark Driscoll, and I'm going to be your pilot for today. Oh, dear. He looks more like a terrorist, if you ask me. If any of you passengers feel at any time that you could pilot this plane better than me, then you'll be swiftly thrown under the bus. I mean plane. As you may have noticed, there are also no parachutes on this flight, which means, should you be thrown off the plane, that your landing will be unpleasant. We thank you for flying Mars Hill Air with us today. I guess it's time to take off, then. Well, let's just hope our flight to Boston will be nice and easy. want to go to New Jersey anyway. That's it. God, please escort this man to the back of the plane for violent ejection. Hey, I have my rights. You can't do this to people. Oh, but I can. I can't believe that just happened. There's something seriously wrong with all of this. 
And this is your captain speaking. Do not be alarmed. You are now free to move about the cabin and do as you please. Just whatever you do, don't question my actions or authority. So you're a brick salesperson, huh? Yep. But why on earth would you want to talk about something like that at a time like... I'm thinking it's time that Mr. High and Mighty got relieved of his duties. It is now time for you all to buckle your seatbelts and hold on tight because we are about to start doing barrel rolls. He's going to do what? <laughs> Remember to always trust your pilots. I know what I'm doing. Oh, I do believe the ground is getting awfully close. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, Our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Striving for Eternity and the Bible-thumping wingnut are happy to announce the Judge Not Conference, August 11 and 12 in Amstead Falls, Ohio, at Amstead Falls Baptist Church. Speakers include Phil Johnson, Mike Abendroth, Justin Peters, J.D. Hall, and Chris Roseborough. Also included is a debate at 7 p.m. on Friday on the topic of the Charismatic Gifts. Continuationism versus cessationism. You can register for the Judge Not Conference at judgenotconference.org. Don't miss this awesome opportunity and fellowship on the topic of apologetics and evangelism. Judge Not Conference, judgenotconference.org. Register today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that televangelists are false teachers and should be avoided like the plague. Because they are. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons 
One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute an amount that you choose. That's right. You get to pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, let's uh, reset things here as uh, we continue with our money-grubbing tele-evangelism uh, segment. It's kind of a you know three-part version, if you would. And so let's do this. Don't want no loving. Don't want no kissing. Don't want no gal to call me honey. Don't want my name in the Hall of Fame. Just want a big fat pile of money. Give me that almighty dollar for that lettuce, hear me holler. Give me buckets full of ducats. Let me walk around and waller in Mazuma. Eldenero, wanna be a millionaire? Give, Give me money, 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 money. I want that green ammunition. That's the stuff for which I'm wishing. Fill my closets with deposits. I'm a demon in addition. Give me shekels, give me pesos. Let me see their smiling faces. Money, 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 money. Get me a suit that's made out of loot and whistle to wear it in green. I got that monetary itis like speeches like King Midas. Want that golden touch is what I mean. Give me that old double eagle. Want that tender that is legal and financially substantially. Any sum I can and beagle. Want a living regal splendor for that loving legal tender. Money, 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 money. All right, so uh, we're going to be heading over to, well, uh, to Kenneth Copeland's Ministries as we listen to Gloria Copeland explain to us, uh, well, God's health plan. Yeah, I mean, this, I mean, wow. I mean, you, you got to sign up for this. This is way better than Obamacare, apparently. And uh, so those of you in the United States who are finding Obamacare to just not quite meet your needs, no problemo. You just need Gloria Copeland's explanation of God's health plan. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Uh, the uncompromisingly righteous, say uncompromisingly righteous, shall flourish like the palm tree, be live long, be long lived, stately, upright, useful. And fruitful. That should be a description of our lives. They shall grow in, uh, they shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon, majestic, stable, durable, incorruptible. Now, I'm pretty sure she's reading from the so called amplified translation, which engages in a form of Bible twisting where you take every definition of a word and pour it into every time that word appears. Uh, words don't work that way. Uh, usually uh, the definition of a word is going to be determined by the context in which it appears. So let's take a look at Psalm 92. She was reading, by the way, Psalm 92, 12 through 15, and saying, well, you just need to, you know, this should be describing us. Well, okay, but let's take a look if we can figure out what's going on. So Psalm 92, 
is a song for the Shabbat, for the Sabbath. And here's what it says. It is good to give thanks to Yahweh, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Yahweh, have made me glad by your work. At the, at the works of your hands, I sing for joy. So notice this um, Sabbath song is declaring the steadfast love of God, and his works first are done. We respond in thanksgiving and praise. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all the evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Yahweh, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Yahweh, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of Yahweh. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that Yahweh is upright. He is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in him. Now, important to note here, pay attention to the details of this particular psalm, and you'll note that there is a theme of judgment over the evil, and talking about the righteous flourishing like a palm tree, like a palm tree or like the cedars of Lebanon, they are planted in the where? The house of Yahweh. That's eschatological. So the portion of Psalm 92 that... Uh, that Gloria Copeland is is reading is an eschatological promise on what it's like to live forever. This is kind of post-resurrection. And that's one of the things you'll note then about many of the health and wealth uh, word of faith folks is that they are taking promises that are given to us in the eschaton after Christ returns in glory to judge the living and the dead, makes all things new, new heavens, new earth, we're resurrected from the grave. They pull promises from the eschaton into the present, but those are not promised for us now under the curse. So pay close attention to things like that, and you can see then how they deceive. Say, that's me. That's me. Planted in the house of the Lord, they shall flourish in the courts of our God. Growing in grace, they shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap, of spiritual vitality, and rich in the verdure of love and trust and contentment. Verse 15 says, they are living memorials. Our lives ought to be a memorial to the goodness of God. People ought to see that we're blessed. They ought to see that, yes, their their age is great, but they still have plenty of sap and vitality. And the- and what happens if, you know, at like age 50-something, you um, get a fatal disease or something goes terribly wrong with your body or you're in a car accident and 
you are maimed for life. Mm-hmm. Oh no! How how can you fulfill this verse? Joy. They seem to have a certain joy about them, or or the world might say they seem to be glad all the time. What is that? That's the joy of the Lord. That's our strength. So we know we can't be sour and down and sad and expect to walk in the joy of the Lord and be be strengthened. We're living memorials. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Shouldn't we be a living memorial? Amen. Amen. Psalm 103 says that he healeth all our diseases. Now this is a directly applying to our healing school today. Bless the Lord. I'm going to read it in the Amplified. Uh Yeah, let's take a look at it in the ESV, which is a good English translation. And uh, she's in Psalm 103. She's going to be reading verses 1 through 3. Let's take a look at it in context, see if we can figure out a little bit more of what's going on in this psalm. So no, she's teaching healing school, apparently. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless Yahweh, O my soul, forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all of your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Again, note what's going on here. There are promises related to the eschaton. Mm-hmm. Renewing our, you know, re- renewing our youth, you know, like the eagles. Mm-hmm. The Lord uh, works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgression from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of Yahweh is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all of his places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So you'll note that Psalm 103, when you read it in its entirety, talks about how brief our life is. And the promise of God here in the context of redeeming our life from the pit, what would that be? Yeah, the pit of hell, okay? And he crowns us with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your new youth is renewed like the eagles. The promise here is that God forgives us all of our sins, and he does, quote-unquote, heal all of our diseases in the resurrection 
when he redeems our life from the pit and renews our youth uh, at the resurrection. So Psalm 103, uh, verses 1 through 5, when you read them in context, are a clear promise regarding, again, the eschaton. But Gloria Copeland, you know, reads it from the Amplified, rips it from its context, doesn't acknowledge its eschatological nature, so that she can basically say, well, there it is. He says it heals all of our diseases. There you go. Yeah, actually, that's not a promise that all Christians will have all of their diseases healed in the here and now. All Christians have all of their diseases healed in the then, when Jesus returns in glory and resurrects us from the grave. The Lord, O my soul, and all that is deepest within me, bless his holy name. We ought to be saying good things about God all the time. Who forgives, oh, it says, bless the Lord, and forget not one of his benefits. We ought to be in the word, our eyes on, our benefits are right here. Right here in the word. We can't forget our benefits. If we forget our benefits, we quit walking in that benefit. So that's why we stay in the Word. That's why the Scripture says meditate the Word day and night. Don't let day go by, a day go by that you don't spend some time in the Word. And when you do, don't just read it. Apply it. Take it. Do what it says. Who forgives everyone, here's a great benefit, everyone of your iniquities, who heals each of all your diseases. What a scripture. How could you forget such a benefit? Mm, and weird thing. I mean, for the last 2,000 years, in fact, going even farther back, all the way back to Adam and Eve, human beings, including those who had faith in Jesus, either the coming Messiah or the one who's already come, that they, they have all... Well, died. And what's really weird here is that Gloria Copeland, no joke, she's talking about heals us of all of our diseases. And you know what she's wearing? Glasses. Yeah. Huh. Wouldn't bad eyesight be considered, you know, a disease? You know, malady of our body? At the first sign of anything coming on your body, you say, no, you don't. No, no, I have benefits. Glory to God. Uh huh. So, no, I have benefits. Clearly, um, her benefits package doesn't include opti- you know, uh, the optician thingy. She has to wear glasses. First time the TV starts, you hear them talking about your money's drying up and your gold's rotting away and your dollars, we don't know what happened to them. Oh, you say you're going to be broke. No, I got benefits. Uh uh-huh. I I's got benefits. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I'm living on my benefits. And I don't mean social security. Glory to God. You mean you know, you, I take that social security. I've been I invested in social security since I was about 12 years old. And I receive it. You know what Ken does with his social security? He puts it in his airplane. He owns multiple airplanes. Which one? (laughs) His airplane needs more help than he does, see? 
Benefits, you know, benefits. We take it? Sure we take it. We invested in it. Doesn't mean I have to have it, but it means I have it. I can do whatever I want to with it. Amen? That's pleasing to the Lord. Uh-huh. Yeah, you see how that works. So, yeah, so note here. One of the things that you see over and again from the people who claim that we we've got benefits and you just got to, you know, believe into it and make it happen and stuff like that is they are taking texts that are clearly alluding to and pointing to the resurrection and pulling the promises when we are all raised from the grave into the present. And basically it's up to you it is uh it is up to you to make it so that you make those benefits happen in your life in the here and now. And that's see that's kind of weird. I mean, don't you think if we have benefits they would just automatically show up? I mean, when I, you know, used to work out in the corporate world and I had benefits, you know, like healthcare or, you know, an I, you know, an I plan or, you know, things like that or a 401k those things just happened automatically. I didn't have to make them happen. They were part of the package that when I signed up to work for that corporation, they were made available to me. And all I had to do was take a look at, you know, what was going on with those benefits. I was given statements and things like that. I didn't have to make it happen. They were given to me. So if we have benefits, well, God's going to heal all our diseases. Why do I have to somehow activate it or do something to make that happen, if that's the benefit that I have in Christ. But see, Christ does promise to heal all of our diseases in the resurrection, and that's given as a gift. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to it. How about you? Moving along. Narsajit, a biblical passage faster than a hummingbird uh, with three shots of espresso from Starbucks. It's uh, now another time of Bible twisting with Beth Moore. The Bible twisting that we will be listening to was originally aired on Trinity Broadcasting Network. Yeah, home of all of the money-grubbing televangelists who twist God's word. And we're going to find that, well, Beth Moore... She fits right in with that motley crew of people who mangle and mishandle God's holy word. All right. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I love that music. Anyway, so uh, we're heading over, like I said, to uh, to Trinity Broadcasting, uh, Living Proof with uh, Beth Moore, uh, where she's going to explain how it's complicated. And watch what she does with the Psalms. It's really weird, really sketchy. Here we go. Maybe because our concept is underway that you are in the right place today. Anybody been in such complicated circumstances that you would give just about anything for Jesus to send you out of this place Less complicated than you came. That is what is before us. Jesus, everybody say Jesus. Jesus. 
Say it one more time. Jesus is masterful at untying the tightest knots. Mark 4.10 says something just gorgeous because I... Jesus is the master at untying complicated knots? <laughs> what? Is, is that one of the benefits? I started thinking to myself, what would prompt Jesus to perhaps by the by way of his Holy Spirit through his word and as we press forward in prayer, sometimes with fasting and prayer, that we would would get some insight, that he would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, according to Ephesians chapter 1, that we that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that we might have some clarity about our calling and some clarity about the things that we're going through. What? What might make it something tremendously enjoyable for him to do? Mark 4.10, I found it a couple of different places. You- I have, <laughs> I'm a little bit at a loss here. I don't know what on earth she's talking about. In what on earth does this have to do with the Gospel of Mark, chapter four, verse ten, which starts with these words? And when Jesus was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. <laughs> okay, so um. Let's take a look at our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, which are context, context, and, yeah, context. Mark 4, 1. Again, he began, Jesus began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat, sat in the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, immediately sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And the other seeds fell into good soil and produce grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears, let him hear. And when he was alone, verse 10, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, he said to them, to you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, that they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. Okay, so you get the idea. Now, if you want to do your cross-reference work here, understanding how Scripture interprets Scripture, you're going to go into the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. In fact, um, I recently preached on this text, the Matthew 13 text, and you're going to note something. As you're working through the Gospel of Matthew, that immediately before Jesus begins preaching in parables, Jesus starts to meet with very stiff, obstinate, um, slanderous resistance to him and his words that he's preaching. In fact, in Matthew chapter 12, the well, the Pharisees said that Jesus was casting demons out by the power of Beelzebul. 
And so Jesus, in the face of this stiff, stiff opposition, changes things up and in chapter 13 begins preaching in parables, not to make his teaching more understandable, but in order to make his teaching ununderstandable to those who have ears but do not hear. And so Mark kind of picks up on the same thing. Jesus, his first parable, preaches a parable here in Mark 4. They're not understanding it. Jesus explains to you what has been given to understand the kingdom. Those outside, they're going to be ever hearing, but you know, but not perceiving, seeing, but not understanding, things like that. And so that's what's going on here. So for Beth Moore in this teaching to just kind of dive headlong into Mark 4, verse 10, without paying attention to the context of what's going on and looking at your cross-references, yeah, that's a bad sign. That means she's up to no good. She's going to twist this text and narcissate it rather than exegete it. You can go search those out for yourself. But it says, when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. It says it again in Matthew 13, I believe it's verse 36. It says that when the crowds left and he went into the house, the disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable. I I, I just want to throw out something to you that I pray will be refreshing. Why don't we just sometimes ask him, what in the ever-loving earth is going on in this house. <laughs> what? Oh, man. I just... You, you can't make this stuff up. Okay, so... Because the disciples asked Jesus to explain one of his parables, we can then, if we're having family trauma... And ask Jesus, what in the ever-living earth is going on in my house? I don't think that's a valid application of this passage. Anybody? What is going on here? What? I need some insight into my 15-year-old. They are not telling me. Could you tell on them to me? Anybody? Anybody, have, have we ever thought of doing this? Because this is something that God's really placed upon my heart that I that I just love to do with him. I- oh, so God placed this on our heart. So that means it's totally sound doctrine. Yeah, no, that's not what that means. There, there's so much I don't know, so much I'm still in the process of learning. But whatever I have, I, that's that's the nature of somebody who teaches. You just want anything that's worked for you. Just want to go here. This this is what I'm learning. This is what I'm learning. But when, when I when I'm studying and I don't know what something means, I just out loud go, "What what does that mean? What does that mean? Where's some other scriptures that I could set beside it and I could." Get some insight. Lord, I, I don't see where that fits. Lord, it's not fitting with my circumstances right now. I want to believe you for this. Would you, tell, would you give me insight into this? I think he loves for us to go knock and ask. Seek and you will find. Ask and you will receive. Knock and the door will be open to you. I think he loves it. I think it's engagement. I think it's relationship. When we say to him, not to everybody else, we, I, listen, I'm all about going to get counsel and getting some clarity. God uses people. But I'm saying first, foremost, and always in the midst of it, Jesus, do you see it all? 
I've told him before, you know exactly where my car keys are. You, you are not the least bit confused. You're looking at them right now is the thing. You're looking at them right now. And the thing is, I need them. I need them. And so I'm just going to, you know, like, come get me. Here's my hand. And what I would appreciate is, looking. and you know, it doesn't usually work that way. But sooner or later, I do find them. And then, you know, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Because, Lord, you're looking. You know. You're not confused. Somebody say out loud, Jesus is not confused. No, he's got complete clarity about the situation and we need it. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab out your pen. Grab out your pen. As fast as you can, I want you to write down as many complications in your life as you can think of. And here's all you... Yeah, Mark 4.10 isn't about the complications in your life. You have to do. What is it that is making a situation just flat out harder than it needs to be? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, the- Yeah, the, like this. This teaching is so much more difficult than it needs to be because you were talking about like opening up the Bible to other passages to help understand them. All you had to do was go to the context of Matthew when it would have explained it to you perfectly. Now we're freewheeling it out there in the middle of nowhere. We're, oh, man, these poor women, they are not learning what this passage is about at all. This should not be this hard. But the reason it is hard is because of this. Now, just so I'm going to give you a little bit of insight. I did this with my staff here recently um, to do a little exercise with them. And and that, that's what turned into this lesson with you. And I, these are mine. I scratched them out so that you could not freeze the screen at any time. And look, at there are 17 of them here. 17 of them here. I mean, where I just continue to think and think and think this, this makes things complicated and this makes things complicated. Now, this was a long time ago, but listen, my, our first child was born nine months and two weeks after the day we married. That was complicated. That was complicated. My husband worked for his dad. That is complicated. Can anybody amen that in the house? That has nothing to do with understanding the parables. Now, I've got a rope here. So we know that most... I know what you're thinking. Don't say it. Most of us have at least three in the room, if not all of us. So how many of you had even... She's tying knots, and no, it's not a noose. And six complications, six or more complications that you wrote down in your notes. Okay. (laughs) How many complications did you write down? What on earth? Okay, well, then I'm going to write... I'm going to make sure that I tie this knot three more times. And how many of you had even more than that? Maybe two more than that? Two or more? All right, I'm going to do two more here. And so would you... Is this like a magic trick? Look up for just a moment and think to yourself, no wonder life is hard. the most complicated Bible twisting ever. Look here at this. I mean, we could just go on and on. If I had the rope enough to do 17, imagine the knots. And the truth of the matter is you and I, in the worst way, need some of this untied. What can be untied. Jesus, come to the house this weekend and untie it. Oh, man. (laughs) 
Oh, man. I... <laughs> I... Wow. Speechless. Spe- speechless. Because <laughs> Mark 410 has nothing, nothing whatsoever to do with what she is just prattling on about. Good night. I... I, I need to take a break and go reset my brain for a minute. Holy smokes. That was weird. All right. We're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash Fire Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Fire Christian. Quick break when we come back. Uh, we're heading back in time to the Brownsville Revival, listening to Jensen Franklin's appearance there. What a mess. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Hi, Rich Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review. But let's do this right. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. We're heading back in time to the Brownsville Revival. And Jensen Franklin, the famous televangelist, his appearance there and his message titled, Revival Revelation Brings Testing. Yeah. So we'll uh, once again test the theology of the so-called Brownsville Revival 
to see if this was a legitimate revival or if it was, well, false doctrine, false manifestations of the Spirit, things like that. Over and again, we've demonstrated that the theology that went along with that revival doesn't even remotely square with what Scripture says. So let me go ahead and back off on the music, and without any further ado, here is Jensen Franklin's appearance at the Brownsville Revival. Here we go. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. You may be seated. Wow. Praise God. Well, I'm glad a few of you know me. My ego was just going down, 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 down. I'm a nobody. Amen. And that's, how, that's where we need to be if God's going to ever use us. Can you say amen? I'm so glad to be back here. What a great group on a Friday night. This is an amazing phenomenon to me. If I announced service on Friday night at Gainesville, it'd be me and Sharice and the five youngins. Amen. But only in Brownsville can you come right in the middle of summer, school, exams, everything going on this week, and see a faithful group of people hungry for God and still passionate for Jesus. Choir, you bless me every time I come. I appreciate you. You, you're, you. Many of you don't understand. Let me just take one moment and then I'm going to preach. But Pastor, Pastor Kilpatrick's sermon does not start when he gets in this pulpit. But your parking lot crew and your ushers are preaching his introduction before he ever walks up here. The nursery workers are the introduction to his sermon. And I don't care how good he preaches up here. You have already set the precedent for whether people are going to have an encounter with God by being a greeter, by being an usher, by being a nurse. Set the precedent that people are going to have an encounter with God. Not sure what that means worker, by being a parking lot worker, by being a singer in that choir, exhibiting joy to this congregation through the songs of the Lord. It's not just pastor walking into a pulpit, but more and more and more and more, I realize that people come and stay at my church in Gainesville if everybody understands they're in full-time ministry. And don't minimize that. I mean, a, a smile versus a get that car out of here. <laughs> a, a, a nice God bless you. We're so glad to have you. Can I get you a seat? Versus get that screaming baby out of here. We ought to put SS on some of our ushers. Amen. There. I mean, if you know what I'm talking about, I go to some churches and the ushers look like pallbearers. You shake their hand and. You get rigor mortis all the way up to your neck. (laughs) Folks, people notice that stuff. Be a happy people. Be a joyful people. It's contagious. If you just be upbeat and happy and positive, I can't stand negative people. Get away from me with your negative report and your negative self. I don't want to be around you. Don't have time for you. Don't like negative preachers. Can't stand negative staff. Don't want any negative choir singers. Don't want no negative nobody around me. Isn't he being negative right now? (laughs) 
Just, just saying, you know. Thank God I'm not married to a negative wife. Or a negative husband. I mean, if some of you would just start being a little more positive. I'm going to preach in a minute. This is just a warm up. Be a pop, get upbeat about life. I know we're going to heaven, but live a little bit down here. If, if, if I work with some people, my Lord, why would I want to get saved? I mean, you are representing Jesus. And we ought to be the happiest people. I'm not talking about everything's going right in your life, but you still have joy in the Lord. So everybody right now, just look over your neighbor and give them, give, check them out and say, now, I don't know what you are. I got to figure it out. Are, are you a positive, upbeat, happy person? Are you an old mully grub bucket mouth? It's one of the most negative intros to a sermon I've ever heard. And that's the weird irony of this. Okay, Mully Grub, whatever. We continue. Look at them and say, get joyful and be happy. Yeah, that always works. Just browbeat them into happiness. Waterboard them with with joy. That that'll get them right into it, you know. Tell them, don't worry. Be happy. Uh, some of you made up your mind to be sad, haven't you? But you know what? You know what the doctor does when when, when you go to the doctor. One of the first things the doctor will do is say, "How you feeling?" He really don't care what you say. Say, "I don't feel good." He'll say, stick out your tongue. And he'll examine your tongue. Because he can tell if something's wrong with you if your tongue's messed up. And you know what? God doesn't listen to us. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Come in here all negative. But God says, if I really want to know how you're doing, I'll go into your house in that conversation with your own family in your home and I say stick your tongue out and I can tell by how you're talking all week long how well you really are doing spiritually for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh if negative stuff is in your heart it comes out of your mouth if Jesus is in your heart peace comes out of your mouth come on and say amen and he just condemned everybody there who uh Still has a sinful nature. And that would be everybody there. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently none of the people there are actually Christian anymore. Just saying, you know, that's how that works. This is bad law preaching, by the way. So how? look at your neighbor and say, how are you doing? Now say, I don't believe that. Stick your tongue out. I'm going to check you out. Some of you need to get healed in your tongue tonight. I'm going to lay hands on tongues. Praise the Lord with me, somebody. Use that tongue and praise the Lord for just about 30 seconds, would you? Come on, get positive. Change the focus. Came in with trouble and problems, but change the focus. Praise.
Glory to God. Hallelujah. I think Christians need to enjoy life a little bit more. I know we're going to have joy in heaven, but life is for living. My Lord. It's too short to go around an old negative person waiting on the rapture. God don't even want to come get you himself. That's why he hadn't come. They're happy up there. (laughs) Praise God. I better move into my text or something here. You want me to? I will. I'll preach that. You know, this is the honest truth. I have yet to preach my what I think are my best messages. I can't ever preach what I want to preach. Every time I come to this church, I get up here and I think, I'm going to impress them tonight. I got, I got some good ones. I really do, y'all. I promise you, I got some good ones. Don't I? He knows he hears them everywhere I go except here. And my best messages, I've never preached. That's the truth. You don't believe that. I'm telling you the truth. But every time I come here, I come up here with about 14 outlines in my Bible, totally confused as to what I'm going to preach. And I'm not nervous. I hope you're not. Let me, let me preach just a few minutes tonight from the book of uh, 1 Samuel. I think that's where I want to go. 1 Samuel. I got a little word in my spirit. I've never preached this message anywhere, including my own church. I was writing the notes on the way down here. Can I preach this? Hot off the press. This don't make sense. You don't come to a place where, where there's such great preaching and not preach something that you know is going to work. But I know it's going to work because it's in my spirit for somebody right now. Look with me. I got to show you. You know it's going to work because it's in your spirit? Yeah. Yeah, when I preach, I kind of, you know, judge whether or not it's going to work based upon am I rightly handling the text? Am I rightly understanding and going to communicate what the text reveals, what it says? I saw this week, 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel, and uh, let's go 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, David and Goliath. Oh boy. And I want to read verse 40. And we all preach with me just a, just a little bit. Something good's about to happen in here tonight. I sense it coming. Glory to God. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had. Notice this, even in a script. If you look that word up, it has reference to scriptures. Even in a script. Uh, what? No, 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 no. Now let's let's take a look 
at the King James, and uh, we'll clean this up from the uh, from the Hebrew. First uh, Samuel seventeen forty. He took his he took his staff in his hand, chose him five smooth stones out of the brook, and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had which he had even in a scrip. The um, Yalkut is the uh, the Hebrew word there, and it doesn't mean scripture. Yalkut means a pouch. <laughs> Let me read it from the ESV. What he just said was just patently false. All right, so the ESV, verse 40, Then he took in his, uh, his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the book, put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand. So you get the idea here, is, is that uh, he he said that the script there when he's reading uh, verse 40 from the King James, is referring to Scripture. No, it is not. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. You know the story. Verse 45, Then said David to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord, watch him talk right. Watch him talk right. His tongue was positive. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my... Notice where the emphasis is. So this is naming and claiming. Your words create reality. Why was David able to defeat Goliath? Because his words were right. This is the word of faith heresy, and that's not it. Script, this scripture in particular makes it very clear that the Lord himself was winning that battle and fighting on behalf of the armies of Israel. And I will smite you and take thine head from thee. I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. Now, I want to I want to share just a few things about this. First of all, the Lord, I have one of those words from the Lord. I don't know who I'm sent to, but here it is. All right, direct revelation. Uh, stand by. The Lord began to speak to me this morning about this service. I've never preached what I'm going to share with you except right now. The Lord gave me this thought this morning. He said, with every level of revelation comes a new level of testing. Um, what? And what does this have to do with the, the, the historical account of David and Goliath? Answer, nothing. Now we're just using the text, you know, to kind of springboard into the thing he really wants to talk about. The direct revelation he claims that he thinks he got from God regarding uh, revival, uh, revelation brings testing. Okay. Anytime you get a new revelation, you can expect in that area that God enlightens your mind and your spirit to the enemy to come test that revelation. For example, let's say you have never been a tither. You have never been a giver. 
You always just kind of gave when you felt something or whatever. If the preacher really talked you out of your money, then you gave. But you were not a planned giver. You were not a tither. See, I, I, I plan my giving. I know that a tenth of my income, minimum a tenth of my income, is already set aside in my budget. I don't even consider it my money. I don't even entertain the thought of touching that. That's God's. But when you get revelation on that and you make up your mind you're going to start tithing, in the area you get revelation, there will always come a new level of testing. So you start tithing, 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 and then the car breaks down. And then the Maytag man that hadn't been getting any calls, suddenly you're calling him every other day. Something's broke down at your house. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Or if it's a revelation. This has nothing to do with 1 Samuel 17, 40. Healing. And then suddenly the test comes and somebody you know or even you get sick. Or maybe it's a revelation on, on your family. You know, you finally get it established in your spirit, pastor, or somebody gets up and preaches. God's going to heal your marriage. God's going to save your children. It's a word from the throne. It's like he's been reading your mail. It's lit up in your spirit. And you go home and you're expecting the love boat. And when you get there, all hell is breaking loose. Always know that when you get a new revelation, there will come a new level of testing of that revelation. Now, what got my attention about this story? I want us to look at it in a way we've never seen before. Goliath was from Gath. The word Gath is where we derive the area of Gethsemane. Gath means oil press, wine press. Uh huh. So notice. He's now doing some weird word association as if, you know, because Goliath was from Gath, that what this really means, there's a hidden kind of code here in the definitions. Uh Uh-huh. And before you defeat your Goliath, you're going to go through a place of great pressure. Utter nonsense. The story of David and Goliath is type and shadow picture of Christ's defeat of Satan including the crushing of his head, if you would. I recently taught on this, but we're a few weeks away from airing it here on Fighting for the Faith. But uh, I would just say stay tuned to an upcoming uh, Rose Bros Ramblings, and you will hear, you know, in context, the entire story of David and Goliath told from beginning to end and how it typologically points to Christ. We continue. Listen to me closely now. See, I want to talk to you for just a few moments by introduction about test. Some of you are being tested because not as an indication that you're doing something wrong or that you've missed God or you didn't hear from the Lord and He didn't speak to you. Actually, it's an indication that God did speak to you and it is going to happen and the test is just trying to get you to turn around and give up. First of all, I want to say something about test. The teacher is always silent during a test. The teacher doesn't give, get up and talk and give answers during the test. So you know that you are in a test when the teacher is silent. 
When our teachers and that I went to in school, when they would give us a test, they didn't hand the test out and then come over and tutor us and say, now you might need to connect this and you need to divide that by this. They don't talk during tests. And the way that you know you're in a major test is if you pray and you don't hear nothing. You come to church and it's almost like God's ignoring you. You, 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 you. No biblical text says this. This is a doctrine totally spun out of the heart of Jensen Franklin, not the mind of God. This is not taught in his word. Get in a worship service and everybody around you is getting a breakthrough, but it's like God is, is, is dissing you. God just doesn't have time for you. God is ignoring you. That's a sign you're in a test because the teacher never talks in the middle of a test. But the Lord sent me with a little word in my spirit. He said to tell you that's the bad news. But here's the good news. It's an open book test. And what that means is just remember what I taught you. Just remember what I told you. And if you don't have the answer, go to the book and open the book up and search the book, search the chapter and you'll find the answer. And the test is an indication that you've already been taught something. Somebody said tests are to teach us something. No, 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 no. My teachers never gave me a test to teach me. They taught me and then they gave me the test. So God gives you the revelation and he teaches you what it means to believe him. And then comes the test and that's where you're either a wimp or you either stand up on your hind feet and say, I know what God told me. I don't go by what I see. I don't go by what I feel. I go by what I know in my spirit. God's going to do what he said he was going to do. Give him a praise. Go by what I know in my spirit rather than what. The word of God actually says. Notice uh, Jensen is pointing people inward rather than into the word of God. I need to talk just for a few minutes about who the devil is. Now, please understand Martin Luther said something, the great Reformation preacher. He said, The devil is God's devil. We act like there's a contest. And God and the devil are in this big war. There's no war going on. God is completely in charge. And I read this story that triggered this message a few days ago. Listen to this. There, this is a true story. I got this article about this man who fishes for a living. And he would go out to sea and he would come back, Pastor, and he would pull his boat up into the dock. And, uh, you know, people would come by fish from him right off the boat. And they noticed all the other fishermen got jealous because people would buy ten times as much fish from this man as they would from their boats. They were fishing in the same area. They were they were casting their nets in the same area. Both of them coming back at the same time, getting in as the day was ending. But all of the people wanted fish off of his boat and they couldn't figure it out. So finally, one of the fellas snuck over. This is a true story. Snuck over, opened up. You know, they got those big, uh, what do you call those things? Those... 
where they keep the fish. Big, big, big whales in the boat is all I know how to describe it. Live water whales. And he said he lifted it up and he saw a big old sea catfish. I didn't even know that cat, there were catfish in the sea, but apparently they are. And they said it was a huge one in there that he keeps in there all the time. And they said what he would do is when he would catch his fish, he would throw them in there with this big catfish. Now the other fellows would just throw theirs in the water, but by the time they got back, a lot of them were dead and tired. But there was something about that big old catfish that was chasing them all over that boat. That by the time they got to dock, those fish were still alive and they were still lively and they were fresh. I read that and the Lord spoke to my heart and said, that's all the devil is. He's just a catfish. Really, the, the, the Lord revealed that to you in your heart. Quick, add this to the back of your Bible right after the book of Revelation. Add, add that Lord said to Jensen Franklin's heart, the devil is a catfish. That is in the tank with us. And every now and then, instead of letting you become some old dead, dry, tired believer coming to church, raising your little hand, saying, praise the Lord, he lets the catfish loose on you. And then it ain't praise the Lord. It's praise God. I need you. I need you, Lord. Give me a word. Give me a word. Somebody thank God for the catfish. Even the devil serves God's purpose in our life. Even the trial, even the attack, even the obstacles of life, they are being used by God to ultimately bring us to victory. To produce life in us. The Bible said, the Bible said David walks out. There's a Goliath. He goes down. He's got a revelation of who God is. Now comes the test. He goes down to the river. Everybody say the river. Guess where the river always is. I have never seen a river on top of a mountain. If you want to find the river, find two big old mountains. And then go down in the valley. Ah, see, yeah, because he had to go down in the valley where the river was. Yeah, you know, you just allegorize, you know, the river thingy. And so are you in the valley right now? Well, yeah, that's where you get your five smooth stones, don't you know? And when you get down in the valley, you'll find the river. I'm telling you that you will never have the river on the mountain like you have in the valley. And notice where the weapons to win your war are going to come from. They don't come from mountain peak experiences. They come from valley experiences. And the river is there. And it's out of the river in the valley that you get the weapons that you need to defeat the devil in your life. Not the mountain, but the valleys. See, I need to say this. That's why God allows the devil. Why didn't God just kill the devil in Genesis and get it over with? That's why. He allows him. The Bible, the Bible said that the joy of the Lord is our strength. 
I, I've been working out a little while. You can't tell it, but I really am. I have a personal trainer. And some, he said something to me interesting the other day. I asked him, I said, where do muscles come from? Because I'm still waiting on them to come. Where do they come from? Three days a week I'm doing this. You know what he told me? He said, what happens, this is interesting, it was to me. He said, what happens is as you work out, as you work out, as you push these weights, he said, you rupture the muscle. And he said, after you rupture the muscle through resistance, he said, the body is amazing. It has 48 hours to heal itself. And he said, what it does is if you keep doing that, when you feel that burn, is how he said it. When you feel the burn, that means you're rupturing the muscle and the body to compensate will cause that muscle to grow. But it only happens with resistance and it only happens as you're pushing against something that you get stronger and your muscles get bigger and bigger and you begin to bust out of your coat like me. Now I thought about the joy of the Lord is my And where does strength come from? Resistance. Resist the devil. <laughs> yeah, um wow. Yeah, no. This is just some weird free association thingy he's doing with modern understandings of uh, of biology somehow imposed on the biblical text to deal you know, to create a false doctrine of sanctification wow that's how i do resist the devil and he will flee from you. And you just keep doing that. You know who the old devil is. All the devil is, is God's gym. All the devil is, is where God works you out and builds your strength. Because he says the joy, your strength is going to come. Because you're resisting the enemy and getting stronger. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. Pastor, the Lord spoke to me about this, about this 40th verse. The Bible said he went down to the river. This is David. And he chose five, not just any old stones. Everybody say smooth. <laughs> Critical. We, we just read right over that smooth stone. That's the most important part of this whole story. Do you understand that in the Bible there was a tribe of Benjamin that had 300 left-handed men that could throw stones. And the Bible said they could hit a hair's breadth. They could, they could, they could, they could hit a bird in a tree. They, they, they were precise. They could shoot that thing and kill a lion with it, kill a bear with it. It was an amazing... We just think about it. But these men were precise. But here's the key to it. They had to use smooth stones. Because if the stones had rough edges around it, it would cause it to, as it was spinning, to veer off. And just a little... A uh, little rough edge on one side of that stone would be enough to cause it to veer off in this. The Lord spoke to me and he said, we're the stones. Oh, you got you to gotta hear me up there. We're the stones. So direct revelation from God to the heart of Jensen Franklin.
Yeah, so we are the stones. So when you collect your five smooth stones, you need to collect five of yourself. Yeah, that's... God told him directly, man. Yeah. None of this makes any sense. This is so weird. And do you know how rough stones become smooth stones? The river gets a hold of them. Right, and while they're weightlifting. Yeah, I got it. But let's go a little bit further. The river is not just there to bless you. The Holy Spirit is not just there to give you chill bumps. But Jesus, after a revelation of who he was, came. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Then the devil came with a new level of testing immediately. The dove came and two verses later, the devil comes. Anytime the dove shows up, look two or three verses over in your life and you're going to see the devil show up. To test that, that, that revelation. And the scripture said that he goes down and he gets smooth stones. How does God smooth us out? What happens is it takes storms, it takes floods, it takes rain, it takes storms. And as the storm begins to stir up, what happens is that river begins to flood. And as that river begins to flood, it takes those little rough rocks and it begins to take it downstream. And as it's going downstream, it's tumbling and it's tumbling and it's tumbling. And boom, it breaks off one rough edge. And boom, it breaks off another rough edge. And boom, there goes anger. Boom, there goes a bad mouth. Boom, there goes a temper. Boom, there goes a, a resistance and rebellion. And before you know it, it's a smooth stone. And the Lord said, the reason he can't use some of you is you've got too many rough edges. So he's sending the... Right. So the fact that David used smooth stones, therefore, because the stones are you, yeah, God can't use you if you have rough edges. Seem to recall Christ using Peter. Mm-hmm. Boy, did he have some rough edges. Just saying. Yeah, I mean, he even had to be rebuked by the apostle Paul publicly for his hypocrisy. Yeah, but, you know, hey, yeah, what do I know? <laughs> I'm just quoting that old revelation known as the Bible rather than the new fresh revelation uh, that was revealed at Brownsville via Jensen Franklin. I know you didn't want to hear this at Brownsville, but he's sending the storm to get some rough edges off of you. The other, the other uh, week, we had a guest speaker. Actually, it was about a month and a half ago. We had a guest speaker at our church. And uh, I'm talking about rough edges. I know you think that, that if you've been in church a while, you're a smooth stone. But all of us have rough edges. I didn't know. And you don't even know you have rough edges until the river gets a hold of you and starts beating them out of you. I'm not boring you, Emma. So, 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 Pastor, it's a Saturday night. And you got to understand, I'm like your pastor. I, I, I'm shut in with God all day Saturday and all Saturday. But, but I had a guest speaker, so I'm not carrying the burden. That's why he's coming for. Good luck. I'll be rooting for him. Amen. But, but, you know, I've got to be with my family. I've got five children and a precious wife. And so I said, honey, let's plan the whole day. We're going to have a big day. It's a Saturday, and I don't feel that thing on me about preaching. I don't, I don't have a clamp on my brain. Uh, it's sunshine. Let's go soccering. Let's go uh, doing something with the youngins. And it was going to be a great family day. She just kind of looked at me and said, okay. 
And you got to understand, my youngest is four, my oldest is 13, and they're two years old all the way down. So it's, it's, uh, it's something. <laughs> Listen to this. This is a true story. So, so we decide to go to, uh, is it Chunky Cheese? What's the name of that place? Chubby Cheese. Is that it? Chubby Cheese. Y'all know, is that what it is? I honestly don't know. Chucky. Chucky Cheese. Do y'all have those around here? I'm talking about rough edges. I'm talking about rough edges. I'm God's man. I'm God's anointed. I'm pastor. And I didn't know I had such a rough edge, but I was about to find out. So Courtney, my oldest daughter, had a soccer tournament. We had to go to Atlanta for it. We had to get up at 5.30 in the morning and drive her down. We got all the youngins and they're all whiny because they had to get up, you know. And so we drive down and we're at soccer that morning. But we've been up literally, really since, since about 4.30 getting ready and we had to leave. And, and so it's already been a long day. We do that all day. We've been out to the mall. We've been here. We've been there. And you got to understand, I got little babies. They're whining. They're crying. They're fighting. They're slapping each, you know. I, we're drawing imaginary lines in the car. So help me God. If you, if you cross that line and touch your sister Carissa I'm going to tear your head off it's building it's building anybody know what I'm talking about it's building all over me I'm, I'm dying inside now to top the great day off that we've had you know family time we need family time I don't need no family time that's, that's doing time I'm telling you but listen to me so we go we go now to Ch- uh, Chucky Cheese That place is demonic Curse it when you go by it. Rebuke it Plead the blood over That's pretty much about the only thing I agree with in this sermon so far With all five of mine We go in and so help me On a Saturday night there's, there, there had to be 500 people in this one It was right by the mall People everywhere My children are running around like little drunk midgets. They're just, uh, just, just going crazy, running everywhere. And I'm trying to keep up with them. Babies are screaming. Babies are crying. We stay there for two hours. For two hours. The great tribulation. I'm post-trib. It's already happened. Or it's coming, I guess. I've already had a trial run of the great tribulation. It was, it was awful. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just being honest. Now, now here's the bad part. Okay, so finally, my God, let's get out of here. Let's go home. I want to go home and go to bed. So we get the children out. They're whining. They're crying, especially my little ones. Oh, they're fussing. My two, Caroline and Carissa, my older ones, they're fussing and fighting over the toys that they got with the tickets. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. And we get in the car, and two of them are just whining in the back. They're sleepy, and they're whining. And the other two are fighting. And me and Sharice are trying to talk a little bit. And it's just like, good Lord, it's, it's getting crazy. And about that time, we pull up to a stoplight. And we're about to turn left to get on the interstate. And there's this guy, my, my little boy just had to have a, an ice cream cone. He just had, he was throwing a fit. And I, normally I'd whip him, but, but, but it, it, I just didn't feel like it. I just, I couldn't get him an ice cream and shut him up. So we get him an ice cream. And it's melting, Pastor. It's melting on everything. We just had the truck cleaned. It's melting on everything. 
And he's going all down his face, sticky all over. And he says, Daddy, I don't want no more. And I just told him he wouldn't be able to eat it. But anyhow, so I say, well, it's nothing but an ice cream cone and an ice cream. That's all. So I roll the window down. No paper, no paper. I roll the window down. He takes the ice cream, throw it out. Now the babies are screaming, they're fine. Throw it out. He throws it out. There's this guy that pulls up right beside us. He takes his, this so help me God, this happened. He takes his hand and goes, pulls up right beside me, gets my attention, looks up at me and says, on his horn, rolls down his window, cars everywhere. We're, We're right outside of Atlanta. He points his finger and says, litter bug, pick it up, litter bug. And he doesn't just hit it. He's pounding on it over and over and over. And I'm, I feel like the exorcist by now. My head's green soup's coming out of my mouth. I've had it. This is quite the story. Um, yeah, I, I think many of us can relate. I'm ashamed to tell us. I've never told this. Any- no idea what this has to do with uh, 1 Samuel 17. Answer, like, nothing. I rolled the window down. Something came all over me. It wasn't winning. I said, you stupid idiot moron. If you want it up, lick it up. I rolled the window up. Hey. I rolled the window up, deafening silence. The babies weren't speaking, the children weren't, and Sharice is just. And all of a sudden, my eight-year-old goes, Oh, Daddy, I'm going to tell Maggie how in the church and you don't understand Maggie House is her little eight-year-old friend and if Maggie knows it, the whole church knows it. And it dawned on me. You're supposed to be a sanctified, Holy Ghost filled man of God and you were ready to kill somebody over an ice cream cone. Oh, I know you want to act holy, but I wish we had a microphone in your house this week. I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost wants to get some rough edges off. We come to church and shout and hoop and holler and go home and scream and fuss and fight. And the Lord says, I'm ready for the river to get a hold of you and break the rough edges off and heal your marriage and heal your home. Sounds so pious, but... Yeah, um, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's God's Word that does this work in us. The Spirit producing His fruit in us through God's Word, law, gospel, sin, grace, repentance, forgiveness of sins. And we, we as, you know, regenerate Christians, cooperating with God's Word, mortifying our sinful flesh, bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. But here you're going to notice that somehow it's the revival that's going to do this rather than the humble means of grace, God working through his means to continually, daily, bring us to repentance and bear fruit in keeping with repentance because we are forgiven in Christ. 
Heal your tongue. I know why you're not backing me. Because I'm in your business. So I'm repenting before ever God and everybody right now. Forgive me, Lord. And bless that man wherever he is. Be my luck, he flipped on the TV that night. I know that guy. <laughs> I guarantee you, that's how it goes, you know. <laughs> He'll show up at my church one day. What, I don't know where I'm going with this sermon, but... Everybody that's got some... You don't know where you're going with the sermon. Okay. Edges. I want to pray. Can I do something? I've never done this in my whole life, in my whole man. I want every mother who is a stay-at-home mother with those little things that... I want you to stand up. I'm going to get stress off of you right now. Stand up. I'm serious. Every mother that has babies at home, get up on your feet. No, we don't understand. These people... These people are living under some serious, serious stress. And it's spiritual. The Lord, I'm not minimizing. This is a spiritual thing. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And the devil will tell you, you're wasting your time with those babies. They're just driving you crazy. But the Lord brought you to Brownsville tonight to get you in the river. And just to let you know, you don't know who you're holding. You don't know if it's the next Billy Graham or John Kilpatrick. It's a mighty ministry. And the stress and the pressure goes now in the name of Jesus. Throw your hands up and praise. So the stress is going to leave because he just got rid of it. In the name of Jesus, so there you go. You're stress-free now. Say things are going to get better in my life. You can sit down. I bet you ain't never seen that at Brownsville. Huh? I got church members here tonight. Now my whole church is going to know. Well, they already know. I got up and confessed it to them. They, them in this place is the only ones that will know about that between us. Rough edges. You know, you know, the Lord, before he can use you, has to get those rough edges off. Some of you still, you know, you still got these things going on that ought to be over. But he gets you in the river. And if you'll let him, he'll break that stuff off of you. Then the next thing that David did is he, after he got smooth stones, he put them in, notice the wording, the shepherd's bag. Before God can use you, after he gets the rough edges off, he'll put you in hiding. He'll put you in darkness. And you know what else he'll do? He'll put you in a shepherd's bag. What? Nobody notices you. Where nobody sees your gift. Where nobody's recognizing the anointing. When the Lord called me to preach, it wasn't like this. I didn't have my schedule booked up a year out. I didn't, I didn't have people calling me. Nobody knew my name. God, after he began to get the rough edges off, he then put me in a shepherd's bag. And that's the real test. Can you stay in that shepherd's back? Do you have a... Yeah, you got to test those rocks after you put them in the shepherd's bag. Will they try to get out or not? Yeah. 
shepherd and are you in his bag? And friend, until he blesses you and releases you, God really can't use you. It's the shepherd who reaches in and says, it's time for you to go out. You remember in Exodus 29, I'm going to preach just about seven more minutes if you'll let me. But in Exodus 29, you know the Bible said that God told Aaron to bring his sons. And he said, I'm about to anoint. This thing goes from father to son. There's no such thing as an anointing in the ministry without a spiritual father. By that I mean a covering. And Aaron said, I want it to go from you to your God said, I want it to go from you to your sons. And it's in Exodus 29, he commanded that Aaron's sons wear Aaron's clothes for seven days. It's a strange scripture to me. He had to wear his daddy's clothes for seven days, slept in his daddy's clothes, uh, ate in his daddy's clothes. The boy, the son, had to wear his daddy's clothes for seven days. In other words, if he didn't have his father's covering, he couldn't show up. He even showed up after the seventh day for his ordination service wearing his daddy's clothes. That's why it's crazy for somebody just to get upset with the pastor and split off. And I've said it before and it bears saying again, I've never heard uh, of 50 demons getting upset with Lucifer and splitting off and starting a new hell. Boy, I tell you what, we don't like to stay in the shepherd's bag. We don't like to stay hidden and submitted to the shepherd. But if you don't have your father's coat on, there will be no ordination service. I have no idea what on earth he's talking about. This has zero to do with the story of David and Goliath. Wow. This is so, so bizarre. Remember when Elijah said, Elisha, if you want what I've got, if you see me when I'm taken up, you'll get a double portion. If you see me, the literal translation, you Bible scholars, check it out. It says, if we see eye to eye when we part, you'll get double. You know, when, when he started going up, what did he do? He took his clothes off, threw it down to Elisha. And I like what Elisha said as he was going up. He didn't say, prophet, prophet. He didn't say, Elisha, Elisha. You know what your Bible says? He said a strange thing. He said, Father, Father. He had a spiritual covering. And when that covering fell, he took his coat, his covering off. And when it fell on Elisha, boom. And you know what? He didn't part the water with a staff. He took that covering and hit the Jordan River and it parted on both sides. You know, the devil doesn't want you to stay. I don't know why I'm preaching this, but the devil doesn't want you to stay under anointed covering. Right. Oh, man. I, <laughs> he says, I don't know why I'm preaching this to create the false impression that this is really what the Spirit wants to teach us. Oh, man, this is so bad. That's why when the sons of Sceva showed up, the first thing that demon did was strip them naked and then he beat them. Because the devil knows that... <laughs> he had to take off his father's clothes off all those seven sons of Sceva, you know. 
he's going to defeat you. He's got to get you out from your covering. And once he strips you of your covering, you're open prey. If God has planted you in a place and you're not getting attention and nobody's calling you and you don't get to eat fried chicken with the preacher and bless God, you start seeing everything negative. You don't see souls. You don't see great miracles. You don't see lives being changed. You get your eyes on everything bad. I think I'll leave this bag. And if you do, you leave the place that God was going to reach in and find you and pull you out of and use you. Uh-huh. Yeah. So don't leave. You know, despite all the false teaching and stuff and the false manifestations of the Spirit, you can't leave or you'll be uh, easy pickings for the devil. Oh, my word. I'm almost finished. Scripture said he took those rocks and wrapped them in script. Scripture. No, I already noted that the Hebrew there is not talking about scripture, but it's talking about a pouch. Up in scripture. See, you know what God's going to do to you? He's going to smooth you out. Then he's going to put you in a dark place, in a bag somewhere. Where it feels like God's left you and everything God's told you, nothing's happening. And you just wait. And you just sit there in the shepherd's back. But there'll come a time when the great shepherd will reach down and pull you out. And then he'll wrap you in the scriptures. Friend, you're not wasting your time here tonight. When you're hearing the word of God, it is preparing you for a Goliath that's coming. Yeah. They're not hearing the word of God and you are totally messing up. And I mean, there's nothing redeemable in the sermon, the way you've mangled the story of David and Goliath. Your life. Can I just preach one minute? You know that when, when he cut his head off, the Bible said he carried the head back. The Lord spoke to me one time, and I'm sure this is not original, but it was original to me. The Lord said, if you ever want to get ahead in life, you've got to fight some giants. Really? God, God told you that? No, he didn't. Wow. This guy is delusional. You don't get ahead without the giants. The giants are going to come against your business. But if you're wrapped in the scriptures, the giants are going to come against your marriage, against your children. But if you're wrapped in the scriptures, it is written. So let me show you something about this. We've always kind of, you know how Hollywood does it. David just runs out there. Friend, I don't think he was scared. You know what I think? I think he had read the Old Testament. The Bible said for 40 days, Goliath blasphemed God. For 40 days, he blasphemed the God of Israel. And he had read the Old Testament where old Moses had written, if someone blasphemes and takes God's name in vain, stone him to death. That's in your Bible. So he gets that, I can see him in my mind, get that scripture and wrap it around that rock. Time to stone me a blasphemer. I'm not coming out here with a rock. I'm coming out here with the word of almighty God in my hand. And when he went against Goliath, he had the word. Took his head off. 
See, the stone, bam, it hit him and he fell backwards. But your Bible didn't say that it killed him. He had to get the sword and cut his head off. See, what happens is people come to Brownsville and they hear an evangelist or some preacher preach a message about hell or something and they get the devil in their life. Boom, he gets, he gets nailed and he falls down. But if you're going to kill alcohol, if you're going to kill adultery, if you're going to kill homosexuality, the Holy Spirit in services like this will bam and nail him between the eyes and that spirit temporarily loses its grip on your life. But then if you're going to rip... Notice, he's not preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins. He's teaching a different method altogether than what Scripture reveals on how to mortify our sinful flesh in its passions, desires, and behaviors. And what he's teaching is magic, not repentance. Take it out. you got to pull the sword out and go over and say, it is written. I'm struggling. I'm being tempted. I feel like going back to the old me, but I'm going to pull my sword out. Hallelujah. There's going to be giants. I'm almost finished. But there's going to be giants. Those 12 spies said, we are as grasshoppers in their sight. Why didn't he say we are squirrels? That's pitiful. I mean, at least get a little bit bigger image of it. We are as monkeys in there. We are as dogs. Why a grasshopper? Let me tell you three quick things about grasshoppers. Grasshoppers have wings, but they can't fly. They don't fly, I should say. I've seen many grasshoppers fly. Strangest thing. And you're a grasshopper when you have wings, but you don't ever soar. You just hop. That's what a grasshopper does. He hops from church to church. Woo, I like it over here now. Notice he's never flying. He's just a hopper. Hops from preacher to preacher. Oh, let me just preach now. Hops from marriage to marriage. From bed to bed. From job to job. wings but never flies. You're a grasshopper when you just hop around instead of getting somewhere and getting planted and taking the word and soaring like an eagle. A grasshopper its greatest weapon is camouflage. They can take on, some of them can take on the color of the beach and look just like the beach and you not know they're there. Or, or green, they can take on green and you not even, they just blend in. And you know you're a grasshopper when nobody knows you're a Christian on your job. You just blend in and they come blankety blank, blank, blank and they don't apologize to you because there's not enough salt in you to even bother them. There ought to be enough Holy Ghost in every one of you that if somebody comes with a foul mouth, they say, oh, would you, I'm sorry I forgot you was here. 
That's the greatest compliment in the world. And you know what? That same person, if they see you live it, they may make fun of you and laugh at you. But you know what? There come a time when crisis hits their life. Isn't it amazing? When trouble hits their life, then they'll come around you and they'll make sure none of their buddies that they talk to you about you are, are looking. And they're coming and listen, me and the old lady's having some trouble. And I, I just need you to talk to the man upstairs for me. You know, I don't, I don't want none of that tongue stuff. Don't, don't put none of that tongue stuff on me. But, 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 but just pray for me because I know you live a life. Well, I ain't going to tell you the last point. You're not, you're not hearing me. Grasshoppers don't ever eat grapes. Utter train wreck. This is just a litany of nonsense. The disciples didn't teach this. Jesus didn't teach any of this. The prophets never taught any of this. And this isn't going to help anybody. You have to preach God's law. To convict them of their sins. Placard Christ and him crucified for their sins. Call them to repent, to be forgiven, to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. They eat leaves, they eat bark, but they never get to taste the grapes. And you can sit back and you can talk about how big your giants are, or you can say, God, get me in the river. Work out the rough places. New revelation brings new testing, but I'm ready. I got my book open. It's time for me to go to a new level, and I'm ready, Lord, and I'm submitting to the bag. And I'm wrapping myself in the scriptures. All you got to do, businessman, to prosper is read Psalms. Just stay in the bag and wrap yourself in the scriptures. I would say it's probably a good idea to read the scriptures because it'll teach you how to spot false teachers like this and to learn how to hear Christ's voice when people are properly proclaiming the truth of what scripture says. The one and do it. If you meditate in this book day and night, this Bible predicts and absolutely guarantees if you'll be a man of integrity and honor God, it says, then shall you be prosperous and have good success. The more you meditate in this book, the more successful phones, faxes, emails just start coming in. Your name goes up in circles. It all goes back to wrapping yourself in the scriptures. I'm through. But God's not through with you. Throw your hands up. Why don't you just stand up on the... Done. Total train wreck. Hopefully you uh, see the problem here. And it's weird. Without fail, every single time we go into the archives and look at the preaching at the Brownsville Revival, we see no evidence of actual right handling of God's Word proclamation of true repentance caused by the preaching of God's law to convict people of their sins, a call to penitent faith in Christ and the placarding of Christ and what he's done on the cross for us, and then bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. Nope. Over and again, bizarre, weird, man-made sermons with Bible-twisting, false doctrine, and false claims to direct revelation. Hmm. 
So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.